Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, give me eyes to see with faith, ears to hear, a soul that grasps your holy word, that you have revealed yourself to all, specifically today through marriage and through miracles. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Good morning. And greetings and peace in the name of Jesus, who is the Messiah of all. It was good to be gone to Florida. It was good to come back. And most people ask me, how was it? I said, it was a lot of fun. And did you bring warm weather back? And I said, yes. You had two days last week in the 40s and 50s, and you only got two inches of snow instead of eight. But the rest you have to deal with yourself. I don't have any more warm weather, okay? Anyways, it was good to be there. Good to come back. Well, Merry Christmas. Well, it's sort of odd to say that, because like Christmas is a month ago, but we are currently in the season of Epiphany, and Epiphany is really Christmas for the Gentiles. It's Christmas for outsiders. It's Christmas for the rest of the world. The Christmas, we usually celebrate the, the birth of Jesus and the angel and shepherd. That's pretty much Christmas for the Jews, people who knew about Christ but this is Christmas for the rest of the world. So we, we always mention the wise men, um, those kings. They really showed up to worship Jesus maybe a month, if not a year, year and a half, a half after Jesus was born. So Epiphany is Christmas for the world. It is Jesus the Messiah, just not for Jews, but for the entire world. And so St. John, he, as you heard in the gospel, said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the what? The sin of the world, the sin of everyone, just not Jews, but for everyone. Epiphany is Jesus for everybody. And Jesus shows his glory. God shows his glory to all. Today I want to talk to you. I'm sort of giving you a sneak peek down the road into Jesus revealing himself in two means. Jesus reveals himself, first of all, in marriage. So God's glory is revealed to all through his institution of marriage. So in the Old Testament, we hear about the godly marriage of Hannah and Elkanah, and a very devout um, married couple who loved each other, but Hannah had a problem, and today it's an issue. 20% of couples cannot reproduce without um, medical technologies, but for Hannah, she couldn't have any children, and I think uh, that was a burden for her. She, she bore that cross. In some ways, she felt some false guilt. And, and today, it's not so much an issue because of our birth rate, our, our Western world, but in the Old Testament, not being able to give your husband or give your family sons and children, I think that affected her. That was somewhat of a scar on her heart and soul. But yet, Elkanah was a very devout husband to her, in spite of Hannah not being able to give um, him children or give her family children. And in love, this is what Elkanah said to her. Hannah, why do you weep? And why don't you eat? And why is your heart grieved? Am I not better to you than ten sons? In other words... Um, I still love you. I still care for you. And by the way, I know you can give me all these sons, but I'm still better for you. I still give you more than all those sons. So that was a very godly marriage. And uh, marriage was lifted up, and it was a witness to others. Now, sometimes the world doesn't, um, the world doesn't revere or esteem marriage as we do in God's family. So I'd like to tell you a little story about a businessman who dressed up like the devil to go to a costume party. Why? I don't know. Spent $115 and for the evening rented a devil's costume. And he was on the way to the costume party dressed like the devil. And so um, 
And as he was going to the costume party, he encountered a really bad thunderstorm. I'm not talking about just a lot of rain where you have to put your wipers on high. I'm talking about like branches flying in front of him and creeks coming out of their bed. And his car almost got blown off the road a couple times. And it got really bad and scary. And the man dressed up like a devil said, I got to get off the road. I got to get into a solid building. And as he drove down the road, the only building he saw was a church. And he looked at the church and the lights were out. I think the church got hit by lightning. He goes, I don't care. I need to get out of this car. My car's being blown all over the place. Uh, you know, limbs are falling on my car. It's just really bad. I don't know if the tornado's going to pick me up. And so he went to the church, okay? So a terrible thunderstorm. He went to the church and he got out of the car and said, I know I'm not dressed the best, but I go got to get into this church and be safe. And so as he opened up the back doors, a flash of lightning silhouetted himself and the church heard the back door open, and everybody looked back and saw the devil, and everybody ran out of church screaming and yelling. It was one of these fundamentalists, you know, fire and brimstone churches. Everybody ran out of the church. The devil has come to get us, except one old man, an older gentleman, and he was like standing up front. And everybody ran out of church except him, and he finally stood there and said, I'm not intimidated by you, Mr. Satan. Prince of darkness, you don't scare me. I'm not intimidated by you. You're not going to push me around. And I know that you're the prince of darkness. I know you're Beelzebub. I know you're the devil. I know that you're accuser. And you don't scare me, and I'm not leaving. And I know all about you. And the businessman is saying, really? Yeah, I know who you are. I know how you work. I know the tricks. I know what you're like, Mr. Satan. And you're not going to scare me, and I'm going to leave here. And I know who you are. And the businessman said, really? You want to know how I know who you are? I want to know how I know how you behave. You want to know how I know your tricks? Because I've been married to your sister for 52 years and you got nothing on me. Sorry. That's how sometimes the world views marriage. Hannah and Elkanah, a godly institution, sometimes the world doesn't view marriage in that estate. So, but God does reveal his glory to everyone in marriage. And that's sort of the first part of the message I want to bring up to you. Nothing it's about the guy dressed up as a devil, okay? But God does reveal himself in marriage. So what does the Bible say about marriage? What is marriage? Well, in Genesis chapter 2, a man shall leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two shall become one. That's what God institutes. Twice Jesus quotes those words in the New Testament, and even St. Paul refers to those words. Marriage is a man and a woman, and notice there, Genesis 2, leave and cleave. That's sort of King James language. A man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one. It's based on mutual consent. That is what marriage is. Now, Pastor Learning probably officiated far more weddings than I have, marriages than I have. But in any marriage, I tell the, the bride and the, the groom that there can be no hint of alcohol or any sort of substances because then you're not using your free mind. So marriage is a union of a man and woman leave and cleave in the eyes of God based on mutual consent until death do us what? God instituted marriage. And marriage is a blessed institution. Now this is what the good Dr. Martin Luther, the great reformer, says about marriage. Follow along with me. Dr. Luther, you should note how gloriously God honors and extols this estate, the estate of marriage by both confirming it through his commandments. Now, God has given us a commandment that protects marriage. Can you guess what it is? You shall not commit adultery. Thank you, confirmand. Got me, good. I got you too, okay? So God protects marriage through his commandments. Notice it's his estate. And then Luther goes on and says, 
He wants marriage honored, maintained, and conducted by us too as a divine blessed estate because he has instituted first before all others. So marriage is a first great institution that God gave to his creation, his people on earth. Now, this is the last sentence that carries the weight. Therefore, God has also mostly richly blessed this estate above all others and made everything in this world to serve it. I'm going to go off the map here and come back on. So if anybody wants to be married at St. John, they set up a point at Pastor Loring and I, go through marriage counseling, but before anyone gets married here, they must go and bring what? A marriage what? License. See, United States of America, marriage is both an institution of state and church. I'm going off the map here a little bit. So why did our founding fathers make government involved in marriage? Because our founding fathers saw a marriage between a man and a woman part of the bedrock of a society. It's a bedrock of culture. Why? Because a man and a woman married in devout marriage will raise godly and productive citizens. It'll be a bedrock of the society, and godly children will be a blessing to others. So let's read Luther's last statement there. Therefore God has also most richly blessed this estate above all others and made everything in this world to what? Because don't we celebrate when a couple celebrates their 25th or their 50th? Or for some, so blessed their 75th? So God lifts up the institution of marriage because it's a bedrock of society, a man and a woman, because marriage is really God's glory on display to the world. Sometimes young people who grew up in broken homes and seen I don't know, a lot of fighting and a lot of pain. They sometimes admire families who have couples, who have grandparents married for 40, 50, 60 years. It's God's glory on display to the world. Now, this is what I say about marriage, sort of a, sort of a common sense saying. Marriage is an unconditional commitment to an imperfect person. Well, just ask my wife. I'm imperfect, okay? But it's an unconditional commitment to an imperfect person based on what? Love, forgiveness, and sacrifice. That's what marriage is. No, no offense, but a number of years ago, a man came up to me and said, Pastor, my marriage isn't going as well as I'd like. Can you please tell my wife to listen to me? I don't know about that. <laughs> well, I said, well, do you love your wife as Christ loved the church? What? Do you love your wife as Christ loved the church because Christ was willing to do what for his church? die for it. Try that, then come back to me. He never did. You see, marriage is an unconditional commitment, love based on forgiveness and sacrifice to others. So hence, what is marriage? Marriage is thus reflection of Christ's relationship to us. We are his bride, and the bridegroom loves his children, willing to lay down his life. So God deliberately compares in Christ his relationship to us like one of a marriage. Mutual love, support, forgiveness, esteemed, right? Bounded together, faithful to us. So marriage is really God's glory on display to the whole world. So what does the scripture say about marriage? Well, we're told in the end times that we're sort of like maidens waiting for their groom to come. And some have oil, some don't. But we're the bride and Christ the groom. What else are we told? We're told that heaven's like a heavenly wedding feast. Now, my oldest daughter, um, she got married on New Year's Eve, and so my wife and I know about paying for that, right? No offense, I'm not 
trying to be cheap here, but for us Americans, we have a wedding reception that lasts, what, eight, ten hours? Get married at three, the party from six until midnight. My daughter got married on New Year's Eve, so it's 12.02. We said, Happy New Year, everyone, now go home. No, I'm just kidding, all right? But anyways, but in Jesus' day, wedding celebrations lasted sometimes for days, even not for a week or two. But heaven is seen as a wedding feast. We are told in parables that in faith we are clothed with the garments of uh, wedding garments with Christ. And how does the scripture view weddings, marriage? Husbands and wives are one as Christ and his church are what? One. The relationship of a husband and wife being one is like the relationship of Christ and his church is one. So marriage is really a revealing of God's glory to the entire world, the Messiah for all. I want to talk about the second part of this, and that is God reveals glory to all in miracles. Okay, so, so God reveals himself in miracles. So let's talk about what a miracle is. What a miracle is not is a birth of baby. Uh, I can scientifically and biologically explain to you how a baby is born. Now, maybe a person coming into the world is a miracle. Maybe them having a soul, maybe being baptized by God's grace, there's some miracle there. But a birth of a baby, that's like seventh grade biology. That's really not a miracle. I mean, it's special, don't be wrong. Well, sunsets in Hawaii, those aren't miracles. I don't like to fly, so it might be a miracle if I'm there. But that's not a miracle. I can explain that to you, okay? Um, a miracle is not politicians who work together and keep their promises. That's not a miracle. I mean, we might think it is, all right? That's not a miracle, right? Um, what else is a miracle? Um, your team winning the championship, okay? I sometimes wonder if the Browns win the Super Bowl. It's sort of like the opening of the Red Sea. No, that's not a miracle, all right? I don't know if it's going to happen. I think the Lions fans can sort of, uh, can sort of relate to that. Um, winning the lottery, that's not a miracle. I mean, you might have a greater chance to be hit by lightning, but that's not a miracle. Um, what else is a miracle? Well, what is a miracle? Well, a miracle is a supernatural suspension or intervention in laws of nature. A miracle is God who made the laws of nature, who puts our world into orbit, who runs the seasons, who governs nature, He's going to stop those laws. He's going to intervene and do something that the law of nature can't. That's a miracle. So a miracle is God intervenes in his laws of nature, intervenes in the workings of the world, and he stops it and he does something in it. He suspends it, he intervenes. So I want to ask you right now, which miracle of Christ do you view as being the most magnificent or meaningful? Fine, tell me, just say it really loudly. Which miracle Christ is the most meaningful, magnificent to you? Go ahead. Resurrection. Resurrection. Definitely key. What else? Miracle. Which miracle do you find the most meaningful, magnificent? I'll tell you what people said in earlier services. Changing water into wine. Walking on water. Lazarus being raised from the dead. Think other miracles? The feeding of the 5,000. I'm sorry, what's that? Healing the sick, that's right. The lame are able to walk, the deaf hear. The boy are possessed by demons. So Christ does miracles. So let's talk about miracles that Christ does. Well, he manifests himself being Messiah and Lord of all. So anytime Christ does a miracle, he like has a red flag. I'm the Messiah. You see him doing I'm walking on water. Everyone seeing that? I'm bringing this person back from the dead. You see this? I'm the Messiah. He shows a red flag to the world. I'm doing a miracle here. So he blesses Jew and Gentile. He healed the centurion's daughter. 
He does miracles for people who aren't part of his chosen people. Correct? There's miracles for them too. I'm not sure when Jesus fed the 5,000, there weren't Gentiles there. So he blesses Jews and Gentiles. What else miracles? They're in service and love for others. I'm tore up. My daughter is asleep. She's going to die. My boy is affected by demons. He's in service and love for others. Lazarus' sister said, Lord, if you'd have been here, he wouldn't have died. Well, I'm going to bring you peace now. I'm bringing him back from the dead. Oh, see, Lazarus come out. He'll come out. No, he didn't say come out because everybody would have come out. He said, Lazarus, come out. He rolls back the effects of sin. Sin brings disease and death and violence and greed. He makes the lame walk. He rolls back the effects of sin. He, he rose from the dead. We too might rise from the dead. Uh, Jesus never did a miracle to convince an unbeliever or entertain. As some of you old enough to remember, there is what? Jesus Christ superstar? You know, Herod said, if you are the Christ, yes, the one Jesus Christ, prove to me that you're no fool. Walk across my what? Swimming pool. Jesus refused to do miracles to entertain or convince an unbeliever. He did miracles of love. So I want to talk about, some of you talk about marriage, is Christ's first miracle at a wedding, turning water into what? Wine. Why? Why would that be Christ's first miracle? Well, we just got done talking about marriage being God's institution that shows glory to the whole world. But it's his first miracle because I think it makes a statement about who he is. He calls his mother woman. And he says, my time has not yet come, meaning my time hasn't come for me to come across yet. But I think Jesus knew that maybe the parents of the bride might be a little embarrassed. They were concerned they ran out of wine. He wanted to bless the celebration. He blessed his marriage. So he turns water into wine. Now notice, Jesus didn't turn water into grape juice. So how do we know it was wine? Because when the host came out, the host said, why did you save the best wine for last? Now, if you've been to a wedding reception, you bring out the best first, not later, because sometimes people had too much to what? And they don't know the difference. You can bring out a glass of water, they won't know it. And never mind, let's not go there, okay? Sure, we all have stories like that. So you know this wine, you brought out the best wine. So Jesus celebrates marriage, and he does a miracle there, and he points to his cross. I want to make one other point. Now, Pastor Learning's done more weddings than I have, but we've all been wedding to receptions. Now, who's the center of the wedding reception? Who? The what? And you can tell the bride because she's wearing what? And sometimes the groom takes off his coat and he's dressed like the other groomsmen. We don't know who the groom is, but we definitely know who the what is? The bride is. But yet, we don't know who the bride is. We know who the hosts are. We met the parents. We met the servants. We know the disciples are there. We know Jesus' mother is there. But we don't know who the bride is because I've never been to a wedding reception when I didn't know the who, the bride. I think maybe, just maybe, you and I are the bride. You and I are the ones that Christ died and redeemed and loved and serves. Because marriage is a picture of God's glory in his church. And miracles, just like marriage, reveal God's glory. What a blessed thought for us sinners. We're his bride. He takes us to be in heaven forever. Now, I'm a little bit sappy because I've just been at Disney World. But aren't all Disney World princess stories based on what? They lived how? Happily ever after. That's sort of like stealing from Christianity. He's the bridegroom. We're the bride. He comes and takes us to be with him forever in courts of heaven. What a joyous thought.
So Merry Christmas for everybody. Jesus, the Messiah, who reveals himself in marriage and miracles. What joy it is. We're part of his church. So I'll have this for a closing thought. You'll catch it. Father, you created Adam, crafted Eve, and made them one. Jesus, from their sin you saved us, as God's true incarnate Son. Holy Spirit, you forgive us from our sins we are released. Bring us, Lord, at last to heaven, to the endless wedding feast. All God's people say...